Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that presents two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we are excited to bring you Antoine Wilson, author of the novels The Interloper and Panorama City, whose new novel, Mouth to Mouth, was named one of Barack Obama's favorite books of 2022. Antoine is joined by his longtime friend, Sarah Manguso, the author of the novel Very Cold People, released this year, and previously released non-fiction books, including 300 Arguments and The Two Kinds of Decay, as well as poetry collections, Siste Weator and The Captain Lands in Paradise. In this free-flowing discussion, Antoine and Sarah explore the transition from writing non-fiction to fiction, mull the motivation of likability in their approach to their work, and examine whether poets smoke more weed than fiction writers. Inspiration starts now. Hey. How's it going? Sarah, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I really want to sort of talk at you about what I've observed from the way that you work, oh. especially over the last five years since we've sort of been almost neighbors in LA. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we've both kind of witnessed the full creation of, a, of an entire novel uh, mutually. And, you know, something that I think about all the time is that the way that you seem to work and build a book is that you just kind of like pick this, uh, this invisible to me and everybody else, sort of a piece of a story out of the cosmos. Mm -hmm. And then once you have it, you just keep following that story somehow and it's you know there's this alchemical process by which you sort of keep adding to the story yeah and it just seems so i mean it's so different from the way that i work i can't imagine working in that way and so it's it's always so interesting to kind of watch you as you describe how work is going yeah i wish it i mean that makes it sound so much easier than it is kind of yeah yeah right like i mean i have this uh, current the current book that's out is uh, like I'd like to say it's one Gatsby long. It's like fifty thousand words, fairly short novel, right? But I f- was just looking around at other stuff, and I I found a seventy five thousand word draft that doesn't get anywhere near like even into like who is the guy that he saved from oh, drowning, no. and so yeah, I had a concept or a sort of, you know, a germ of this guy saves this guy from drowning and the guy he saves is a jerk and he has all kinds of questions about it. But yeah, and it, it builds on that incrementally, but uh, the increments aren't necessarily like consistently additive. You know what I mean? There's a lot of forward and backward and a lot of, um, just, uh, lack of confidence in the things that I have chosen by the time the stuff that makes it into the book is there in print, it hopefully seems inevitable. But well, this—I I mean, this novel definitely seems inevitable. Actually, all three of your novels do. It's interesting that you bring up confidence. I'm working on a, a lecture right now for my MFA students about doubt, mm. and um, you know, I'm doing—I'm doing the thing that I always do when I write a lecture, which is like act like a teacher for the first half. And then just act, you know, act as if I'm in therapy for the other half oh. and talk about like how I'm plagued by doubt. That is so smart. 
Thank I wanna, you. I'm going to write that down. Very, that is like very easy to write lectures. Yeah, but that's like an incredible technique. I'm going to do that I, because oh. I, I uh, join me. As soon as you said the words, I'm writing a lecture right now. Like my insides just went like at the, oh, yeah. at the possibility yeah. of when was the next time I have to write a lecture. And um, that is a dope technique. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I, it's a good experience. Too, I think to, I gave I think listen. I gave you my technique for writing blurbs too. When you can't think of anything to write a blurb, you just yeah. copy copy an existing blurb grammatically or you know right. syntactically, but not not semantically. Not in terms of the content. Yeah, These, yeah. No, you... I maintain that laziness is my aesthetic and my ethic of life. Well, laziness is where how I mean, that's that's how a lot of things that we do have become the way they are, right? Habit formation is a major part of being able to make our way through life. Yeah. And that comes from conserving energy. Huh? Yeah, conserving energy, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if this were hard, or if this were any harder, I would not be doing it. But you come up with these concrete strategies. That's what mm -hmm. it always impresses me. It's like, you land on this strategy, okay, here's what I can do for blurbs, here's what I can do for a lecture, and you're like, this is what I do. And I feel like I'm always just in a gray freaking fog, you know, stumbling my way forward. I look back and I'm like, oh, here's how I did it, which doesn't apply to what I'm trying to do now, ever. But you've got... Yeah, well, I mean, I certainly don't have a technique for writing a book. Mm. But all of the ancillary demands of, you know, blurbing and lecturing, which, again, are always a privilege... Yeah. Um, you know, it's helpful to have a set procedure for that. Like, like email boilerplate. Right. Once uh, a friend of mine taught me how to, how to write email boilerplates for various professional things. And it was just such a time saver. I, it, up until that point, I, I just sort of like tried to compose every email right. every time anybody wanted anything from me. And it was absolutely exhausting. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, but people don't want enough from me. So I'm still writing personal oh. emails back, but I'm starting to feel like that. It's like you may automating be, scripts, a right? Kinder person than, just than need, I. No, but the people, if you're responding to people who are, have a specific query and you're giving them a specific answer, like, can I send you my book for a blurb? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, yes, you can. I'm swamped with teaching this quarter. I'll see if I can make the deadline. I'd be happy to receive a copy. It's boilerplate that's like in my head, right? But if it was on the page, it wouldn't seem any less kind for somebody to get that email, yeah. unless they. But even if they know that that is the same format somebody else is getting, it's like, hey, I'm get, I'm, I'm going to try to read your book, right? Well, this, I mean, it seems like what we're talking about here is likability, and yeah. the, um, <laughs> yeah, the the amount of effort that we're comfortable putting into the project of being or becoming likable. And the level of likability that we're um, comfortable with, uh, oh, you know, occasionally, you know, you get feedback on your likability in the form of book right. reviews and in the form of, you know, letters from readers. And, um, you know, I've, I've received plenty of feedback that I'm not likable or, you know, not performing well, you know, the way that a, that a, a writer of my demographic is supposed to perform. And um, I, I've just always been okay with it. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm probably, uh, yeah, I'm not as okay with being, like, like the un, being unlikable. 
I don't I think, think I think it's true. I think it comes from I don't think it's like that I stress about it. I, it's just generally my nature to be, to fall into the likable mode. Yeah. And so if I get the opposite, little. sometimes I'm just puzzled. Like, 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 but in a sense, it's naive. But I also, I look at it because for a long time I was the young writer who didn't know anything about like mm -hmm. what path forward. I didn't take the undergrad creative writing. I kind of oh, didn't yeah. know it existed. Well, ni neither of us did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I always feel like anytime anybody is kind of reaching up and out, I always sort of put myself back in that position. And so mm -hmm. I feel like, oh, I should be kind to them it, to try to point them in the right direction. But then that's sort of assuming that they are um, not creeps. Yeah. Because sometimes the people who are asking for sure. stuff are, are creeps and then yeah uh, you know just like the general population yeah 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 that's interesting though that you still maintain or retain um a vestige of this i don't know what i'm doing persona oh. which i mean we've talked about this a little bit before but you know we both felt like we didn't know anything in Iowa you know I'd taken one yeah. creative writing class you had maybe taken like one or two in the extension school I took at a, UCLA a, yeah and I took a correspondence course and of course right and so we were yeah. there with people so, you know a good fraction of our of our classes consisted of people who already had MFAs and other especially genres. I think in well, yeah but also in poetry you had uh some you had a lot of people who had come out of and had been recommended from undergrad programs that's right. that are high at high caliber yeah literary universities we'll put it yes that way. that's true yeah um yeah. and you know and i and I, I think sort of glommed on to that pipeline out of harvard even though i'd only taken one semesters where you know i took beginning poetry <laughs> yeah, yeah i you know i wasn't an english major i hadn't read anything i hadn't read you know i i read a couple shakespeare plays in high school but um yeah i didn't know anything what did you and major it, in Literature, uh, late antique Latin and French. <laughs> so it was literature. So bad. Then. Yeah, was I literature. was just, I was faking it all the way through. Well, late no, but I mean, my my, my 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 texts were um, doctrinal Christian texts of the second and fourth century AD. Smoking. So pot, yeah, so pot um, boilers. It's a lot. That's for yeah. We don't need to get into that. Oh, we should um, though. Okay, you know, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, something that. You mentioned, uh, well, okay, so we're talking about Iowa. Um, I feel like there's maybe more to say about Iowa um, oh. because, you know, oh, well, I we're mean, talking we, about, we're, I, yeah. I, speaking of boilerplate, I have a boilerplate Iowa anecdote, which, oh, I, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the difference between fiction writers and poets, which I think is actually relevant here considering you have an MFA in poetry and then published some uh, books of poems and then went on to write memoirs and then most recently fiction you're now a novelist ha -ha. Um, yeah the I jokes so. on them I guess but so. um so there was a halloween party out of but the... you're true blue let's just say you know your mfa is in fiction and you've you've you know but, you're you are and always have been a fiction writer yeah but i wanted to be a poet i, I hung out with the poets poets were way more fun than the fiction well, writers well that is fiction, true yeah the fiction but... writers you know, if you like poetry, I mean, if you like uh, uh, barbecue and, po well, poker, we played poker too, but, you poker? know, these sort of domestic domestic things. Did the fiction writers. writers smoke weed or, or was that Not just Not as us? much as the poets. Yeah. 
The right. poets, you never knew what the plan was for the night. Yeah, I know. You know, all you knew is that we would be talking about Jory Graham. <laughs> That's true. That was the one You just constant. reminded me, I still want to get back to your boilerplate anecdote, but I remember being in the backseat of uh, someone's car with, uh, I don't want to name any names, but, you know, there were like three other poets in the back. Mm. And I, you know, I was having some medical problems at the time, so I was always carrying tranquilizers with me. And, um, you know, I took out my little thing of tranquilizers, and the poets put their hands out. <laughs> <laughs> so we all took one. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I've never heard that. That's so I funny. know, I haven't thought it. You you, they, you just resurrected that. And, they, yeah. and I'm sure they knew it by name. Right. Oh. Oh, no, well amazing. no, they didn't even care. They didn't yeah. know what it was. They're just, just whatever. Like, oh, okay, it is. pills, all right, that's cool. Oh, we're yeah. going in that okay. direction tonight. Yeah. yeah. Whatever yeah. direction it may be. Well, yeah. this was a party. It was sort of an all-workshop party, so there's a ton of people there, and I was living in a farmhouse, and it was at the, this farmhouse. So I threw together my costume kind of last minute, and I took a cardboard box, um, spray-painted it, put it on my, over my head with an opening on the front, and, so it looked like a television. It had like an antenna on it and stuff. And then I put on a tie and a button-up shirt and a, a blazer, so and then I just had shorts on. Um, so I was a talking <laughs> head, like a newscaster, right, but like who's not wearing pants below the below the waist or whatever. But then... We had this rubber rat, um, and I was like, I'll just stick the rubber rat. like." And so I put a string uh, to one of my buttons or a buttonhole and connected to the rubber rat as if he was like my pet rat. And so I would set him on top of the, Oh, yeah, and the TV, inside the TV, like around my head, was uh, somebody had these battery-powered Christmas lights that were like white lights. <gasps> yes. So that like kind of glowed inside where yeah. I was on the TV. So I put the rat in the TV with me or up on top of the TV, and, you know, whatever. It was just a costume. But something happened over the course of the night that just astonished me, which was 100% divided fiction writers versus poets, their reaction to the rat. Oh, so and the, fiction, the, the poets were like, the rat is what makes the costume. I love the rat. That's incredible. <laughs> the rat, blah, blah, blah. And fiction writers were like, okay, I get it, but what's the rat there for? Oh, why so good. why the rat you know like <laughs> it'd be a great costume if you didn't have like that rat that random oh, rat stop workshopping my costume yeah 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 but yeah. It, but i was like oh this is this is at least one data point right in the in a a, a difference of temperament between young uh fiction writers and young poets is... or at least the the types of young fiction writers and poets who were at iowa at that time because right. i think you know fiction kind of skewed pretty conservative in the 90s um I yeah. don't, uh, so I had a, well, I mean, there was yeah, a lot of skewed, sort of regional Americana. It, it, well, I felt like it was, there was, well, okay, eh, maybe there was, was some of that. I would say it's skewed narrative, right? But what is, like most fiction is narrative, you know, it wasn't yeah. POMO documents, you know, it wasn't right. like pastiche. But then I have, you know, I was, just before we started this conversation, like dropped my daughter at school, had to do something at her school, got home just in time to like, pick up a massive amount of like this dog accident. It was outside, but you know, dog poop, um, you know, and then I was bound like uh, also answering student emails on this uh, canvas program thing, you know, and I was doing like six different things at once and the clock is ticking and making a coffee. The clock is mm -hmm. ticking to when like I have to get hop onto this interview and I'm not even like out there. I'm just at home and about to do an interview. And I felt like my attention is so fractured, you yeah. know, and, and with the phone even more so. And so 
it made me wonder, like we had all that postmodern fiction that was like in the, I don't know, I was reading it in the late eighties, early nineties with, you know, all this pest, this uh, collage stuff and everything thrown together to try to reflect, you know, the craziness of the modern world or postmodern world. And I wonder, is that what people like, it doesn't seem to be around as much. And is it because we're a reality is already so fractured that we don't necessarily need to see a reflection of it. We want to go to fiction for uh, an immersive, uh, well, we, coherent we, experience. the thorny term in that question is the pronoun we, because, um, yeah, no, certainly right. people watch shows that do nothing but represent reality back, back right. to them slash us. And, um, I mean, I, I will say that that isn't ever really enough for me to, to be, you know, fully entertained or edified or whatever. I said immersed, With, though. Immersed. I mean, I think, okay. well, because, yeah, it's not, I'm not talking about light reading necessarily, but I'm talking about um, probably fewer um, disorienting cuts. Mm. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. I mean, I think it, I think a more widely read person would have a better answer to that. But um, I can say that I've just always liked shorter work, mm. uh, like one, uh, to use your term, one Gatsby or less mm -hmm. is, um, you know, at maximum density. Like, we, you know, I don't just want a Gatsby, you know, a Gatsby's duration of a longer work. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I, 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 I try, you know, I dutifully plowed through Pynchon and mm -hmm. I think I told you this when you were, you were reading Gravity's Rainbow early pandemic. No, that like, yeah, like last year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read that when I was 19 and I got to about 75 pages from the end and mm -hmm. I realized I just, I was done. I, I, I had just, the yeah. most amazing dream while I was reading it. I was like halfway through it. And I had a dream that I was reading it and that that's so appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, and then I, but I dreamt that I like, I, you know, I made it to sort of like the next section and the entire rest of the book was sort of like, uh, comparable, uh, uh, in terms of difficulty of reading comparable to like Franzen's freedom, <laughs> like, like, he, like the air just cleared and it just became a wow. very easy to read sort of oh, middle man. American novel. I was like, this is so, so strange. Wow, that's like those dreams where you suddenly understand how to do something. Like I learned yeah. how to downhill ski in a dream. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, or I'm, fly, I'm, right? Yeah, or fly. <laughs> I haven't yet learned to fly in a dream, but I oh. would like to. Yeah, yeah. The pension thing is interesting because I found uh, that's it, it. Really does, especially Gravity's Rainbow, does mimic the effects of certain drugs in that from sentence to sentence the connecting tissue is associative um yeah. rather than logical and yeah. but then on a paragraph level he sort of keeps things on the rails enough um yeah i, I mean but, i was very immature when i read it and i'm sure it it was all but lost on me and i should give it another try a lot of it was lost on me too but i wonder what like so let's say uh you know john minchin uh writes a book you know that is essentially gravity's rainbow and tries to get it published today. Is there an audience? I mean, well, I mean, if there is one, it doesn't include me, but that doesn't, you know, that's meaningless. I right. don't know. I mean, ask, uh, yeah, ask a publisher, right. um, you know, and then they'll answer the question and then they'll say the thing that everybody always says, which is that publishing isn't a business. It's a lottery. 
Right. So nothing, nothing you think you know about audience is I think people, accurate until after the fact. Who says it's a lottery though? The writers, right? Okay. Yeah. Publishers? You know what? You're yeah. You're probably right. But, but the I, publishers say it's an art. They occasionally admit that it's a lottery, but it's true. Writers yeah. really like that line better because you know, of course, we do. Nothing's right. our fault that way. <laughs> right. Right. Here are two brief messages from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Carrie Mayer, author of the national best-selling book, The Paris Bookseller. So I'm not just a writer, I'm an avid reader. And since Always Authors is sponsored by Bookfinity, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about it. Bookfinity is a website that is built by readers for readers. So you can get personalized book recommendations, create and share your book lists, review books, and refer friends to earn rewards. You start by taking a quick quiz to discover your reader type. And once you complete the quiz, you'll be taken to your My Bookfinity account. I took the quiz and got my reader type. I am a heroin addict, which is so accurate because I do love strong female leads. Now when I log into my Bookfinity account, I will get personalized book recommendations based on my reader type. Bookfinity also has a like it or lose it function, so I can quickly like the books that I'm interested in or lose the ones that I'm not. And it has a unique review system that goes beyond a star rating. I love that I can review a book based on how it made me feel and recommend it to others. To get started, visit bookfinity.com and take the reader type quiz and create your personalized account today. Buxton Books is proud to be a seasoned sponsor of the Always Authors podcast. Buxton Books is located in downtown Charleston, South Carolina on King Street. And we are a full-service, independent bookstore that also specializes in presenting one-of-a-kind literary events. Please come visit us in Charleston or online at buxtonbooks.com to purchase books and to receive our newsletter for information on events and booksellers' recommendations. We ship anywhere in the United States and internationally. Happy reading from Buxton Books. I, I just helped uh, Amy Fusselman launch her great uh, new novel, The Means, her first uh -huh. novel, after several books of nonfiction, uh, a week or two ago. You had an event at our local bookstore. that An I, event at our amazing local bookstore, Diesel, a bookstore at the Brentwood Country Mart, which we both love. And uh, somebody asked about, oh, somebody asked a great question. They said, okay, well, other than your, your most recent books, which book of each other's would you recommend mm. that we read next? And I recommended Amy's book, Eight, which I'm always talking about. Oh, and yeah. Amy recommended my book, The Guardians. This goes back to the, it's not, it's never, never actually our fault when anything right. fails in publishing. And I said, oh, that, you know, that's so lovely. I'm really, I'm always so moved when people uh, recommend that book because that's a book that, quote unquote, destroyed my career. I got fired from all of my publishers, uh, German, UK, American, just gone um, because nobody bought it. But uh, but honestly, I feel like uh, I feel like writers read that book more than my other books. I, well, you know, I can't know. I can't. I yeah. can't possibly speculate. But I. But it really was this moment of thinking, oh yeah, it wasn't my fault <laughs> because you know here here Amy Fusselman, you know the right. Amy Fusselman is recommending it right now. Well, I I think if uh, I think civilians would be surprised to hear how wrapped up so many of the writers they admire on a on a sort of high literary artistic level um, do or are, are conscious of, of their sales numbers oh, yes. and and that kind of thing because I, I think if you're not 
on the inside of all this, you think, oh, you know, like, you just think of this sort of... They're successful. They're, yeah, they're successful. And they're successful because their work turns me on between the ears. You know, like their work <laughs> oh. is is what, um, you know, get, gives me some sort of gratification when I read it or interest. Um, yeah, or I mean, how could my and, taste possibly be wrong? Right, case? right. But also, I think they just don't necessarily think about the the numbers maybe just like oh I, I had to order your book you know instead of seeing it on the shelf whereas every writer I know just about every writer I know is always concerned with sales because you really do get worried that you know on this end it's a business and it's a business that often doesn't make sense I get worried like am I going to be able to publish another book of course you are you know but I still I bet everybody I know kind of thinks along those lines of like Hmm. You know, as you said, getting fired from your publishers and my my career is like, wait, you mean you can have the same publisher twice? (laughs) (laughs) I guess twice, but no more than twice. I guess I got fired from everywhere. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah, that's I think I think there's a a relationship is established after two books or two dates. Right. Um, But who's to say? Who's to say? I don't know. Yeah, I it, yeah, it's true. I mean, the chaos of pub, that is publishing with editors constantly going from house to house or, you know, getting fired or quitting or mm-hmm. going into business, you know, getting their own imprint. I mean, it, it just it's this like constant chaos that, um, yeah, is, is all but invisible to the lay reader, even the serious lay reader. Mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, ask you to make a slight left turn about fiction versus nonfiction sure. because you, you made the transition <laughs> from three memoirs then and into well then you had 300 arguments yeah just say like a bunch of not autobiographical a, a bunch of like, auto, i don't know what that book is either um yeah it's, um it's it rides the line between uh maybe autobiographical nonfiction and uh, rhetorical uh oh i like that autobiographical rhetorical, rhetorical now i'm gonna use that um yeah i had a feeling you were going to ask this so i've been i was thinking about it a little bit this morning and um, I, I think the way that I, uh, you know, broke the seal between nonfiction and fiction, this is a, a really, um, it, it's, a, it's a kind of bogus crossing over. Like, I, I don't feel like I really crossed over because I didn't change anything about my, uh, my process or my procedure or, I, and it, yeah, it was exactly the same as the way I wrote nonfiction, except some of the stuff was just slightly made up. And so I can qualify that by saying, well, you know, my process is, I think, the result of a sensory processing disorder that I have had since I was very young, uh, or my earliest memories were of um, having difficulty integrating um, all of the input from the world. And uh, I've come to understand, you know, from research over, you know, especially especially recently now that autism spectrum disorder is is so um, so much more widely known and understood. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my, the the particular problem or sensibility, we're gonna not mm-hmm. pathologize it, is that um, I am bad at filtering out data. I'm bad at filtering out input, and so. The way that I deal with the world is not the way that neurotypical people do, where they like recognize, they see things or feel things holistically. Uh-huh. 
like I'm driving right now. Um, it took me for, you know this, it took me yeah. forever to learn how to drive. I lived and, in LA for And then for the freeway was a whole other... Years. Yeah, before I went on the freeway, because I couldn't. Well, and, um, the, and the it interesting wasn't thing, fear. Right, yeah. the interesting thing about a freeway is, uh, paradoxically, a freeway is easier to drive on if you, you don't... You say if, that, yeah. Well, but I'm saying if you're, if you're neurotypical, because there's, you're just, you slip into the slipstream, you're not dealing with lights, other people walking in front of you, and if you can just sort of integrate the vibe of being on a freeway you you just you know one with the with the yeah, mob but i can imagine stimulation wise sense. at a higher speed um with a processing disorder that's just yeah it's just a, a fire yeah, hose, right? yeah yeah i had to, exactly the fire hose um just you know the um what is that word Anyway, the, yeah, there was more data coming at me faster. And, the, you know, if I reacted to it, if I integrate, you know, if I if I took it in and analyzed it poorly, then it's like a very high possibility of my, you know, dying in a fiery crash and taking other people down with me. So, mm. um, so, uh, so, yeah, so there's that. And so, so I bring that up only because of the way that I think it affects the way that I write, which is that I am much more likely to recognize, fixate on detail than the whole. Mm-hmm. I don't see things in terms of story. I don't see things in terms of category. I see things in terms of like that tiny little thing is interesting to me. That tiny little thing is interesting mm. to me. My memory is made of those tiny little things. It is not, you know, show me a movie in a week. I won't remember the ending. I won't remember most of it, but I will remember the two or three details and two or three little line deliveries that affected me most. And that will be what I retain of that movie. And so for that reason, I'm often, you know, a- accused of, or, you know, uh, it, you know, recognized as having a good memory, but it's not, it's just different. Oh. Uh, you know, the, the things that I forget are ridiculous. The things that I don't notice are ridiculous. Um, when, uh, my ex-husband and I had been living somewhere, I remember this, we we're living in a brownstone in Brooklyn. Uh, when we had been there for like maybe a year, a little over a year, as we were going up the steps to our apartment, I looked at the wall and said, wow, has the wall always been that orange? And he's like, yes, it was painted that color like 75 years ago, Sarah. <laughs> but, you know, that's just yeah. how I roll. You know, you're taking, I remember a moment in grad school where um, E.O. Wilson had put out a book called Consilience. Uh, no, I, I don't know this book. Yeah, it's a sort of science-y, thinky book about um, you know, how all of the, uh, the scientific disciplines have gotten so specialized, right? Mm. That there are all these things and they don't talk to each other anymore. And so there's this conceptual thing about like how to bring them back together into the fold so they can all talk to each other in a sort of concept of a new enlightenment mm. um, kind of thing is what I remember from it. But what I really remember from it was the reaction of poets who... I was like, this book is really interesting. I want to talk to people about it. And poets were just like, <laughs> you know, and they were like, Ugh, you know, this enlightenment shit. And I was like, what, what is going on here? And I, and I recognized that they were partially coming from a point of view of, uh, tr- not treasuring, but like putting forward higher than anything else, the detail the individual detail 
is more oh. important than the sort of conceptual framework oh, um, yeah. of like I, science or whatever. Well, like, when, yeah, when you put it that way, that makes right. a lot and of it, sense. And it's, yeah. it's kind of a credo, I guess, of poetry and poets to some degree. Um, they're not writing essays in their poems. They're, they're, they're choosing um, details. Well, they're not writing about, well, the poets that interest me are not writing about ideas. They're right. writing about, you know, they're writing about more particular um, something. Impressions, language, image. Yeah. Clusters. Yeah, I mean, well, there's that. Um, poets always tell the story. Oh, I, I think it's Degas and Mallarmé, but um, Degas, the sculptor, uh, said to his friend Stefan Mallarmé, the poet, oh my God, I have such a good idea for a poem. This time it's really going to work. And then Mallarmé is assume, you know, presumed to have said, oh, <laughs> Edouard. Uh, but poems are not made of ideas, poems are made of words. Yep. 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 That's funny. When people uh, talk to me about uh, who would you cast oh. in your in your roles, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, we should I, note that we live in Los Angeles. So this is right. not an unusual question. It happens question. everywhere, I find. Oh, yeah. does it? <laughs> yeah. It does happen in L.A. more. And, you know, I have never have any idea. But part of the problem is, and I think, you know, when somebody's reading a novel, they may imagine somebody in their head. They may imagine an actor or whatever. They're, people bring what they want to the book, and hopefully there's enough room in the in the book to, so that they can have, have this co-creative act but when i'm writing i don't think of what my characters look like most of the time oh, and i think no. of them as as their clusters of words yeah. and feeling yeah they're, so they're, that's what they're, they're, the characters yeah. are actually made of wow how interesting yeah i yeah. mean obviously in writing nonfiction, i write about uh i occasionally write about actual people who exist you know right. myself and others people that i know personally and I didn't even notice <laughs> when I was writing a novel that that wasn't happening. I hmm. just, uh, yeah, oh, I but just the, the, forgot the to physical descriptions of the people in your book of the are, people. Yeah, yeah, amazing. but they're they're not they're not holistic though. It's like somebody's not holistic hair on, on has a this odor, or somebody the um, teeth. Yeah, the teeth. Yeah, but the they're so they're not holistic from your point of view. Right. And you can't be the reader of your novel. But from my point of view, as the reader of your novel, as somebody who took those holistic detail, I mean, those those individual details, sorry, I, you know, in reading the book, I'm putting oh, them together. And these them. things are standing in for metonymically. They're standing in. I don't even know if that's the right word. But no, go with it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they're standing in for, uh, you know, they're just sort of little crystals you know salt uh, sugar crystals right that the, the rock candy is going to grow from oh um, yes you know and so that's, yeah. that's the but then again active. you are a fiction writer so you but i'm a, a fiction reader i think most you're a fiction, fiction reader i think yeah. most fiction readers do that right they take the few details that you you give them and then they i i think you could take two readers of the same book and if you were able to sort of turn a video turn their like brains into book. video screens their the books would look very different wait Say that again. If, if you, you, could, you took two readers and then what's on the video screen? Uh, their brain. What's in their brain? Oh, their brain. Y oh, yeah, sure. and they're reading the same book, but I think you'd be you, yeah. the plot points are the same or oh, whatever. But like, people picture all different things, and that's, yeah, that's like part of the true. fun of. Um, First, oh yeah, absolutely. The activity of reading. Yeah, the yeah. activity of reading. Um, oh, but yeah, some of the see that's the thing. You're you're you, you may not be <laughs> coming at it holistically, but your details are bangers you know because because you 
you're very precise and they're that's why I, I, I would I've asked you about your memory in the past because they're your details are precise and not yeah. they're not baked they're not received you know yeah, they come from true. they at least appear to come from directly from the memory banks yeah no I have a lot of sense memories yeah. um, but again I don't have a lot of art you know narrative arcs I, I really have very little in the way of arc but um, you know and, and this is something else that I uh, try to practice as a a writer and something that I try to teach my students and it it's another efficiency exercise or another exercise in laziness which is that you you know whatever you got make that the work mm-hmm. um, and it's so it's so exciting to teach that especially to um, I, I teach uh, MFA students so so many of them are coming from uh, sort of you know academic PE college backgrounds um, it's a low residency program, so I also get a lot of um, older students who have had careers mostly not in the arts, where you know they're, 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 they've been taught and have practiced how to answer questions correctly. You know how to how to. It's just you know it's not it's not at all the kind of thinking and work that you do in art making. And so many of them say like, oh my god, I don't know how to write Madame Bovary, and um, I just I just love getting to be the person who says. You don't, you know, that don't even, don't even do that. Like, th- mm-hmm. what are you obsessed with right now? Yeah. And they always have an answer to that question. And I say, great, that's your work. Just right. go do that. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm teaching revision class right now. And one of my big things is, uh, comes from John Woodward, who was back at Iowa with us. Not the poet John Woodward and not the other fiction writer John Woodward. But um, he always said, follow the energy. That was as, oh, as simple good. as that. And so anytime Absolutely. you're working, you know, and you feel kind of, oh, this is this dutiful, I'm tired. You know, you have to ask yourself, is this just because I'm tired in real life? Or have I moved away from the thing that energizes what I'm writing about? You know, oh, that yeah. excites me. Oh, yeah. What a great, what a, what a, what a great um, instruction. But, um, but pe- something else. Out, oh, uh, go yeah, ahead. I was going to say, people outside the arts. You know, they come from the business world or something like that, or even just, I don't know, anything. You, you, we all learn to snap to the grid, you know, that whatever, wherever, like this is a, I think it's in Photoshop, right? Or something where you're drawing and it's like, you can click snap to the grid mm-hmm. and it'll like, psh, you yeah, know, it takes the thing that's like parallel. 0.83 and it's boom, it's over at yeah. one. Um, or maybe it's Microsoft Word, but I feel like we're all, we're all trained to snap to the grid so that we can all have this cohesive uh, language that we can all understand business culture or whatever, you know, um, it's difficult, I think, for people to, to even access. Oh yeah. Especially, yeah. 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 If you spent your whole life snapping to the grid, it's really destabilizing to suddenly have to a admit what you're obsessed with and B follow it. Right. You know, it's a, it's a vice. (laughs) healthy vice a healthy vice yeah i was hoping you could tell me how to write an essay an essay yeah i've been trying to do this for like the past 20 years Antoine. it's not taking <laughs> <laughs> i have things i have things i'm obsessed with and then i think i just can't unsnap or something no i don't think that's how it is i really think it has to do with the um well this is this is a this passage from a best american essay um 
that you sent to me recently, uh, mm. David Foster Wallace uh, set up this perfect opposition between uh, the abyss of fiction and the abyss of nonfiction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so fiction comes out of nothing, but nonfiction comes out of total noise. Yeah. And then, yeah. And so I think what you said was, it, it all depends on which abyss you're okay. like you're into. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm much more, that's one of the, one of the delights for me of writing fiction is that it doesn't matter. Like, to me, it's all about memory and imagination together. And it, and then if it's fiction, it doesn't matter if you're getting it right, right, you know? Um, and so you can fill the silence with these, yeah. I don't know, just have stories and things like lies. that. But, but yeah, lies. But then, yeah, I can't, I'm not a good liar, which is why I struggle with nonfiction. That's true, you're a terrible liar. So, we, should, we should mention that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we both play a lot of parlor games yeah. um, involving lying. <laughs> And um, yeah, both of us have some issues, I'm not, uh, but, but you're, you're a, definitely worse than I am. I don't have much of a poker face. This is true. Um, but you know, in fiction, you're allowed to, it's not, it's not, it doesn't count as lying if you're making it up because it's fiction, no, but nonfiction, I just, I feel like it's like, you know, it's like trying to shove the camel through the eye of the needle. Yeah. Well, you know? it's because you have, you don't, um, I think it's because you just have too much data. Like I don't experience mm. reality as total noise. I really, I don't, I, right. I shut most of it out. And ah. so a few little, you know, the few little things that come in, it's like, it's great. It's just enough. I have just enough. Particles Whereas, versus wave. Yes, that's right? it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Grand unified <laughs> theory of nonfiction. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So like I, I, um, you know, up until this moment, I've always said, Antoine, just like write, all you have to do to write an essay is just write the essay, just write the essay. But yeah. now I think I understand a little bit better the, the sort of cacophony that you're, you know, you're, you're swirling around in. And um, yeah, I don't think you can. Yeah. I don't think you can write an essay. I don't think it's, you can. I think you should not stop just trying. A, it's not just Forget a cacophony. It. It's, it's a, uh, it, it's stuff that's been made holistic. You know, oh, I take in the data yeah. and I make it holistic. So you then I just got this like, peanut butter and then i'm like oh let me let me line up these little peanuts again from this jar of peanut butter oh it's hard God. to get the peanuts yeah. out what a metaphor now i'm hungry yeah yeah um yeah so kind of i metaphor. you know i'm actually going to um formally state for the record hmm. today that um i i no longer think you should try to write an essay <laughs> i think i mean really i think you I think you should write us more novels because all right. Your novels have well. Your novels have this rare crispness to them that belies the way that they sort of um, you know they came to cohere out of the big mm. wave. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it's it's. Uh, I think I described your first novel as having been written by like a poetry robot. I, I don't remember exactly. What oh, you said, said it. You it read as if it had been translated by robots. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Just absolutely lucid. Um, would it be worth going back to the the idea of the wave and to talk about surfing? Hmm. So, I like to surf, and that's actually that's talk about an essay subject, right? That's the one people often are like, oh, could you write a little essay about writing and surfing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, I would love to um, be that person because I would like to 
would like you to, to like me. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. yeah. Well, I, it's I like did. when people say, wow, you should write a screenplay. Just adapt your book to that. I'm like, yeah, but I don't see things. <laughs> like, I'm not visual. Right. I can't do right. that. Um, so they, uh, I, I've come up, I, I had an idea, about, like, I wanted to write uh, a nonfiction book. I had a book proposal idea, which is to go and take, go to like one of these surf professional coaches at age 40, which is just, you know, a few weeks ago, um, <laughs> 520 weeks ago or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and at age 40, can you teach an old dog new tricks? Right. Can I, cause I, I'm an okay surfer. I'm not like a rippity ripper, but could I like through surf coaching become way better? Right. And so it's a book about middle age. And then there's like, there was a local surf contest that I could go and then a year later go back and see if I improved or whatever. So I didn't, ha I didn't have time to do this. And, um, it so sounds I never like a really Jeff Dyer book. Totally. Except it would end up not being about surfing at all. Yeah. Right. Um, so the only thing that came out of it that was really cool was the title ride the wave you're on. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. And that's the one piece of that's surfing advice that translates over to writing. Oh, that would be an essay, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, that's the other problem is I don't know what, I don't recognize essay topics even as they pass me by. Oh, no, I just mean that those five words are the yeah. entire essay. Oh, good. Then that's I've it. That. You're done. Um, yeah, because, you, you know, I think there's, uh, you know, surfing, you're reacting moment to moment to what's going on under your feet and, um, and up ahead what you're seeing. And if you have any kind of preconceived idea, unless you're Kelly Slater or somebody who's just got this incredible surfing brain, any preconceived idea really about what's what you're planning on doing, like, oh, next wave, I'm going to rip this fat off the top, unless it's a very, very consistent wave, you just have to ride the wave you're on. You can't yeah. be riding the wave in your head, the one that you're dreaming about. Yeah. So do you find that that translates well to your writing practice or is it something that you have to remind yourself to do? Yeah. In the, yeah, in terms of the writing practice, it's um, akin to trust your material, you know, and and to not try to be writing a different book than than what's in front of me. Yeah. Um, and How also good are to you accept limit, you know, accept your own limitations uh, at times. Yeah. 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 I mean, do you feel like you've mastered that as you write? No, I don't no. feel like I've mastered anything at <laughs> yeah. all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I okay. think that what that happens is better. the the product of my writing process, right? These books create an illusion that I've mastered some aspects of it. Maybe yeah. it's, it's the performance. A generous reader might think so. And um, but in reality, it really feels like zero every time I start. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not. I tried to write a play once, and then I re I realized I knew absolutely nothing about playwriting. So I sat down to write a play, and I was like, "Oh, this is what real zero feels like," because I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, and then but I on the other hand, that can empower you to just write the play. True, but it was still a feeling of, "Oh, I must know a little bit about fiction yeah. writing because I don't have this feeling." Like the page yeah. is blank, but That's it's not the same feeling. Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that was me thinking like, oh, I could write a screenplay. Well, what about you, know? you when you sat down and thought, I'm writing a novel? Oh well, I resisted that for a very long time, very the, long time. What fascinates me about your process—correct me if I'm getting it wrong, 
but there's a uh, your your main character has a sort of imagined story yeah in the middle of the book about this house mm-hmm. that was what you started with that's true yeah that's and that's accurate. very fictiony it was very fictiony and I have to confess that I wrote that uh, is sort of thinking. Um, I wanted an NEA grant, and so I was um, trying to like reverse engineer a piece of writing that would get an NEA grant. And so I thought, nice. regional Americana, yeah. you know, character. Uh-huh. And there was this idea for this character that um, did have its roots in my own personal experience. So it felt, you know, it it, it was fiction. It was fictionish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it and I thought it would look on the page like fiction. Right. So, um, so yeah, it was about this uh, character named Winifred Cabot Fish, um, a woman of a New England founding family who marries money uh, in order to, um, you know, become uh, the double threat of having both the name and the money. And, um, yeah, there's, like, sexual predation and violence and um, didn't get the NEA grant, which is <laughs> fine. But I was left with this piece of writing and I thought, okay, well, I mean, if it's, I mean, I have this much, I might as well, like, maybe do a novel. And I tried so hard to make this novel about this character. I had no interest, no interest, zero. Um, But then you gave it to your... your... And then, yes, and then I was writing this more, um, this first person work um, that felt so, it was like sort of autobiographical, but not really, It, it... wasn't mm-hmm. and then i realized that that winifred was part of ruth's imaginative life and then i mean it's just one of those wonderful moments where you're like oh that wasn't a huge waste of time yeah because it go, you know it goes with this like certainly i've worked and worked and worked on things that are just um you know it, there's no it has no function it's just right. garbage right. but um you know this happily was not actually garbage it was recycling. It was, re- yeah, it was recycling. <laughs> it fits into the novel perfectly. Because also, you. you know, the thing about a novel, I think, that, that maybe distinguishes it from a novella is that sort of multi-vocal or, you know, like having more than one kind of channel of conveying of information or more than one location, like setting or voices. Um that makes me nervous because yeah, um, don't, don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't understand it. And <laughs> yeah, but and I, I think it's actually not true now that I think of it. But I do appreciate how that creates a different world within your book. It, it expands the world of the book. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, it's, it, it like gives it, it grants it another dimension. It's uh, well, your, your entire novel is a, is a frame story. Yeah. Um, was it always thus? I, I don't actually remember the um, ancestry or yeah. The, yeah, how you got there. It wasn't. Um, it started with the, the rescuing the rescue. from drowning. And um, that was the 75,000 word draft was this first person from Jeff's perspective. He's the one who does the rescuing. And then in the, in the novel, as it is now, he's the one who's telling the, the story within the frame story. Um, so he was telling the reader just directly, first-person style, and I was kind of just following it wherever it would go. And um, it wasn't working for me. There was something I didn't... I, there was something about just Jeff's voice being right up front that did mm. not work for me at all. And 
it, I was working on another short novel at the same time, which is kind of abandoned. I was serially abandoning them one for the other. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. It was terrible because this I, is, this is the Montreal one, the Montreal one. And I was, yeah. I would just like literally say, you know, no, this doesn't work. I'm never working on it again, back and forth. Um, and I was reading Austerlitz by W.G. Sebald, and he ha he uses the sort of anonymous narrator um, as a sort of conduit uh, through which Jacques Austerlitz tells his story or, or shares his story. Um, and it's way different from what I ended up doing, but but it did spark the idea of what if I stuck a guy in between this anonymous guy hearing so the story. So really, it really was that um, experimental. You just thought, what if... Yeah, what well, I, I, had had a, a, I was like, mm -hmm. when I get back to that book, because now I'm going to go back, maybe that's the key that will unlock it. And I just had a good feeling about it. And then as soon as I started doing it, I was like, oh, okay. You know, like it, it suddenly I understood like the work now is, you know, moving on to the next stage because I'm, I understand. Did you, did you know works. immediately that it had yeah. improved the book to yeah. let, at that level of romance? You it, know I knew immediately that it was what could make the book work for oh, me. Oh, that's so great. And then, you know, I didn't have my ending. I didn't have like a lot of other bits and yeah. pieces, but I was like, oh, this is, this is, cause this, it puts this, the telling of the story on stage. Yes. And that's oh. what I, I don't know, that's what turns me on, you know? Yeah. I mean, like you kind of did that in Panorama City too. Right. I mean, yeah, it, there, there is like a, yeah. a performative quality of the um, I mean, we should just say that the narrator of Panorama City is reciting the text of the novel into a tape recorder because he yeah. thinks he's about to die. Yeah. And it's yeah. Then that's a voice right up against your face. You know, oh, that's thing. true. Yeah. So, yeah, I, love that book. I don't know. I, I sometimes think I'm like, what if I just wrote a big third person multi POV? Yeah. But yeah, it's not happening yeah, right I know, now. But it's like, I, it's so much work if you don't want to do it. I did just declare to um, a friend, Jack Living's uh, mm -hmm. writer friend, that my process is clearly like I have to start in first person and dig my way into the first person and to just find my way to whatever the material is. And then like, as soon as I said it, because I'm working on something new and I'm like, I got to go first person. Uh, as soon as I said it, it just stopped working. So <laughs> what I'm writing now is in close third person. Yeah. Yeah. Can't declare anything about the no, process you can't. without you can't. the yeah. Yeah. thing coming the other oh, side. Well, I mean, to bring it back home, this is what my lecture is about. Like the second I start trying to teach something to someone, it's, yeah. it's it all becomes a bogus project and nothing uh, I say has any value. Teaching writing is so difficult in that it not difficult it's tricky in the sense that well you're a coach you're not a, you're not a yeah you're instructor. a coach but also like i want to teach the actual practice not the sort of pedagogy oh yeah but then you can't really teach the practice because you're like my practice is individual to me and it's come about from how many 20 something years of you know doing it my way um but then the pedagogy sometimes i'd like I'm always questioning it. Like, is this really accurate? Is this really useful? You know, all the way down to like breaking down in fiction writing, you know, like plot versus character versus, you know, theme. Breaking down all these, these sort of definitions that feel sometimes to be 
carved out so artificially. Yeah, there's a lot of artifice in the pedagogy. Yeah. Um, yeah, all, all I can say is that right now I, I feel that I have a fairly good eye for um, the moment that somebody starts doing something wrong or doing something, you know, um, inefficiently or incompletely, and I can just sort of, you know, correct them. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's what I can do. But, um, you know, it may not sound like much, but I think that's all anyone can do in teaching arts. It's, um, you know, there's like technique, but yeah, it's not like teaching Boeing technique, you know, you know for the viola. It's, uh, you know, everybody like knows grammar and usage. They're right. sort of coming, you know, you're coming to the table with these, these you know, somewhat developed skills. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, all I really do is just make, Nudge. make corrections like a yoga teacher. Right. Right. Yeah. Once, once they know the poses. Yeah. And then it's making corrections. There you go. We figured it out. Yeah. We, and, we that's, solved, and that's we what it is. It. We solved it. Um, yeah. I feel like we're drawing toward a natural close, but... Uh, I think so, too. Are there any final things that we ought to address? I think what we, sh we should mention that whoever's listening to this podcast is... I hope they enjoyed part one because they don't get part two, which is the <laughs> I know. Us. Yeah, we're this afternoon we're having coffee. <laughs> while our kids do taekwondo, we're going to be drinking coffee and uh, yeah, yeah, and we're gonna yeah, it's going to sort of be the director's cut or the um, yeah, it'll be the commentary. It'll be the commentary reel. Um, oh yeah, on, on yeah. all of this. Yeah, maybe we'll record it and add it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Well, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Same. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about upcoming episodes, to read a transcript of this episode, to buy the books discussed here, and for more information about our sponsors, bookfinity.com and Buxton Books. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment. Cheers. <laughs>